some of us find ourselves on center stage, making our living by releasing the trumpet's golden tones into the air, captivating audiences worldwide. Others among us may be more prone to engage in spirited discussions about its intricacies, its legendary players, and the unforgettable moments that have shaped its journey. But no matter our background or ability, Trumpet Dynamics is our harmonious sanctuary, a podcast that tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. A haven where we explore every facet of this wondrous instrument, delving deep into the minds and hearts of those whose energy breathes life into a simple piece of plumbing. Join us as we venture through time, tracing the trumpet's storied origins from its humble beginnings to its modern grandeur in orchestras, jazz clubs, recording studios, university halls, and beyond. Through insightful interviews and captivating anecdotes, We'll hear the wisdom and experiences of virtuosos, teachers, historians and enthusiasts alike. And now, let the symphony of trumpet dynamics commence with our founder and host, James D. Newcomb. What a pleasure to bring on to the show, Paul Barron and Bobby Medina. Paul is an old friend of mine. I've interviewed him a couple of times when he came out with his book, Trumpet Voluntarily, back in the day. And so he's well-versed in the realm of publishing and sharing his knowledge with those with those of us who play trumpet. Bobby Medina is someone that I just met, and we're just going to get to know him right alongside myself as we gather rapport. But Paul and Bobby have joined forces to start a business called Trumpet Diagnostics. And I'm going to warn you all listening to this that this might sound like just a blatant infomercial for Trumpet Diagnostics, but that's not my intent. My intent is just to get to know the two founders of it, understand the need that they saw as what prompted the creation of the program. So of course we're going to be talking about their program, because that's what they're talking about right now. So it is what it is. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us on, James. Absolutely. I, let's just cut to the chase, because I know that you two are very well-versed, very well-accomplished performers in your own right. And i just like to know, what is the basic, the why of trumpet diagnostics? and What are you looking to accomplish with it. We just we've seen what ha- the way this whole thing came about. There's a quick story about it and when my son was a an avid football soccer player as he grew up he used to say dad you should be in a men's league 40 and over or 50 and over or whatever and I never really did it and when covid hit I decided to put together uh, a Facebook group which is called Tips for Trumpeters 50 and Beyond. Oh, just, you started uh, that. Yeah. And I just had realized that there was nothing in the music world really for, that had anything to do with age. Not that there really should be, but I just thought maybe there's this, I could start a little forum and just see what happens here. Maybe people want to talk about things that have happened to themselves in as they get more mature. And Paul kind of joined up, had time on his hands as we all did. And we just went to town and just started inviting a lot of people. And boy, this thing really took off right away. And it was amazing to see the myriad of issues and things that happen to people, players, as they get older. And so that's how it started. I'll let Paul continue from there. 
Sure. That was a great introduction. Yeah. One of the things that we started noticing on that page, <clears throat> and we subsequently started another page that was all ages, that has really taken off as well, but not to the same degree as tips for trumpeters. We noticed that there was a lot of questions about age-related issues for playing the trumpet, be it dental, hernias, cataract surgery, heart attacks. Bobby always loves to say that uh, we're not doctors and we don't play them on TV. No, how does that saying yeah, go, Bobby? Yeah, we're not doctors, nor do we play them on TV. <laughs> <laughs> we're not about to offer medical advice or guidance there. We always preemptively say, go see your doctor. But there's a lot of things. And Bobby and I, having been through the trenches for as many years as we have in you name the type of musical idiom, we've been beaten up and we've lived to tell the tale and come back from it and and have developed this whole program based on those needs, but also coming from our martial arts backgrounds, we, which we both have. So the program, I guess you, you said that the Facebook group was targeted for, towards older fellows, older people. Exactly. And then out of that sprang, how did the Facebook group become your program that you're that you've started we did a webinar some time ago and we so we built a whole program along with that which is we're proud to say the most comprehensive and extensive one out there for trumpet anywhere it's huge but not to be overwhelming and what we wanted to do is design it in such a way that people could easily click on a topic that they're looking for, boom, a video opens up. So they don't have to sit through somebody's webinar or masterclass for an hour or two hours to try and find that one thing that they're after that they want to work on. So that's how it came about. But then we got approached by so many different people saying, yeah, this it's good, but we want FaceTime with you. Basically, what we did is we created the original program was a standalone program. It was an online training video training series. And in this series, there's over 175 videos that we've created on all things trumpet, plus some different things outside of the norm kind of trumpet to technical related things, things that are more about professionalism and gear and things like that. But where we really got together over the last three years of really building this thing is to create a program, which we call body mechanics mastery. And just to give you a quick definition of it, it's body mechanics mastery. It's a system of body perception and analyzation so we can make long-term corrections by organizing our mind-body balance through this awareness. And what really makes it different is that it focuses on figuring out exactly what works for the individual player and how to get your body completely working for you and not against you. It, we find that a lot, all the great systems have a lot of merit. They have a lot of fine, produced a lot of fine musicians and trumpeters, whether it's Stamp Method. I studied with Jimmy Stamp for years. I knew guys that studied with Claude Gordon. I also happened to study a little bit with Carmine Caruso. And Paul and I have both studied like the Adams Method and all of that stuff. And while those are all great methods, we've found that they they were all based on a need for themselves. 
to create a method that works for them. And yes, it worked for other people, but we've also found that it does not work for other people. So we've taken our experience and experimented and done all this stuff so we can teach people how to analyze their own issues and help themselves as well. And it's I think it's really important to learn to troubleshoot problems that are specific to you. So we like to teach people how to dismantle them and put them back together and show how everything ticks. And in particular, how to find out what works for you at that point in time, I might add as well. Exactly. Because the body is always changing. Because I'm 47 and you two, I know that you're both well over 50. My body was vastly different 10 years ago when I was 37 versus now when I'm 47. I can feel, begin to feel my age now that I'm over 45. And that's just kind of accelerate as I go on in life. Now, I'm interested in knowing, you talk about how the Adam method and the Caruso method is effective for certain people, but it seems like its efficacy is limited because, as you said, it just was, Caruso wrote it for himself. He wasn't even a trumpet player. Caruso wasn't. He was a violinist and a saxophone player, so he came up with a whole kind of different thing. So I'll have to have a little bit of an exception maybe for him. Yeah, what I'm saying. So you have the the Gordon method or this method and that method, but it was created for that specific individual, for that specific body type. So it, what works for Claude Gordon may not work for yourself or myself. That's or exactly Paul, right. right. So you're teaching yeah. people how to be their own teachers. That's a good portion of it is to teach them how to be aware. And what's been really a lot of fun is that on these Zoom <clears throat> sessions, we can see the light bulbs going off. You know, somebody just changes a slight thing, a little adjustment. They go, oh my God, that's, I wow, that feels great. So it can be that immediate. And as far as the different methods, just to touch on that, we've found that even those methods that work really great for us at a certain point in time may stop working. You said the efficacy may stop working and but they each have a nugget of truth, of beneficial quality to it that we can take those things and go, okay, for this point in my, how I'm feeling, I should be doing maybe the six notes from Carmine Caruso, or I need to do such and such to open up my sound. I might do something else from a different method. So it's knowing where those tools are. But I think what Bobby and I have that's unique is that we teach the why to use that tool and what that outcome, expected outcome should be. So I think that's, I've always want, wondered, okay, so you tell me to do this, why? You know, a lot of the methods don't even want to tell you why, or maybe they don't even know why, but it just happened to work for that composer of that version of the routine or something. I had friends that studied with Claude Gordon and I had some people say, man, this is like my playing has just gone through the roof. But Claude will always tell me, don't ask me why, just do what I say to do and do it. And I had other, I had another close friend that studied with him for quite a while. And I remember him just telling me also, and this is in no way meant to slam the Claude Gordon system. But he said, this was like the worst two years of my playing. It just, it's not working for me. And Claude doesn't want me to ask any questions as to why things work. I studied with Stamp and Stamp was 
he was he liked to talk about why these things work, but he developed his method because he I think he had a he had a heart attack and it was trumpet is very it makes your heart really work hard. So he had to figure out an easier way to play and make the trumpet as easy as possible for himself. And I learned so much from him. However, I will also say it's my experience. And I, Paul and I like to just talk about from our personal experience, not from everybody's because your mileage may vary as they say. But for me, as far as being able to learn how to play in the upper register with power and stuff, it didn't seem to help me too much in those areas. We both studied, like you said earlier, we both studied martial arts over the years. And from that, we bring this physical awareness and an understanding that we're all built differently and we have different ways of approaching certain issues. One of our heroes as kids, of course, was Bruce Lee. Our age group, we all watched those movies and all that. But Bruce wrote his method, which was Jeet Kune Do. And Bruce studied boxing and Chinese martial arts, Japanese martial arts, grappling. He studied like everything. And Jeet Jeet Kune Do, I believe, literally means like the way of no way. And so this is for us, it's the method of no method. We've taken ideas, of course, from all of our teachings, from all of our teachers and everything we've learned through various systems. But we've learned how to try to figure how to apply them to different people. And I think what these other methods were all missing was this understanding and awareness of the physical mechanics of playing and how to integrate your mind and your full body. And this completely varies from person to person. Doing these interviews for going on, what is seven, eight years, I've noticed a pattern of there. It seems to me, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, because you've been at this longer than I have. But it seems to me that there was certain dogmas that were just established this is the way to do things. Oh, man. You had the Chicago school. You had the New York school. You had this school, that school. And this is the way to do it. But my observation is that the students and the players, they don't necessarily think that way anymore. Not to the extent that they did maybe in the 60s and 70s, 80s. Yeah. What is your observation on that? I have a theory about that in the same way that, you know, news sources we can get from all over the world 24-7. A lot of things are homogenized as well. You may hear or notice less of the regional dialects or accents around the country. I, I think a lot of it is just the access to the information that's out there. And so now you've got YouTube with a bazillion help videos, a lot of it is misinformation or bad information or even dangerous, but you've got all of that available. You've got everything else. And like we're doing today on this Zoom session, we can be in Virginia Beach and Paulsboro, Washington and all points around the globe and do this kind of thing. Whereas back in the day, like you were talking 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, those teachers there was the Chicago school because people would go to Chicago and study with Herseth and Chickowitz and so on, or they'd go to New York and study with Pandolfi and Dono and all that, or they'd go to LA for Stamp and Maggio and 
Clyde Gordon. So I think that those schools came out of those areas regionally because you would have to travel there to study with those people. Now you can study with people all over the world anytime you want. But you're also right about them being a dogma with a lot of people still. And I would maybe, I think I would agree with you, people that are maybe 50 or 60 plus in age, some of them, and a lot of them, not just some of them, but there's quite a few of them that just really believe this is the way. And it's almost like a religion. And it's it's something that I think keeps a lot of people stuck. And they keep playing the same thing over and over, the same routine, and they don't vary, and they don't try new things. And they just wonder why we have so many people that come to us that are stuck and frustrated. And they just don't understand why, because I've been doing this for so many years and it seemed to be working at one time, but it's not. And part of it is that you need to make changes as your body changes and you need to, I think it's my opinion that you need to be, try to be open-minded. At least I try to be open-minded. We certainly don't claim to know anything, everything, but we've come across things that are, that seem to help people and ourselves primarily adapt as we age and as we run into roadblocks. Yeah. And one of the things just to get back to what you were talking about earlier is that with people, we'll often say, we'll give some advice or prescribe a remedy or whatever we want to call it to one person while and another person may be having the same issue physically with their playing, but we'll have them do something else. And I think the thing that makes us different is that we, we approach these issues with a lot of, we're able to hit them in a lot of different ways so that people can finally get something that clicks with them and it goes, oh yeah, now I get it. You have your aha moment. And those little things, like Paul said earlier, can often just be, boy, that can just happen in a in an instant. And sometimes it takes a while till you figure it out. I, we don't claim to have a magic wand. I wish we did, <laughs> but but that's how we approach it. There's one thing in in Aikido, a Japanese martial art, that it is the one that I most loved and spent the most time doing. This exercise is called Rondori. And what it is, you as the defender stand in the middle of the mat in the dojo, and you have three or sometimes more attackers coming at you, but from all different angles and at different times completely randomly. You have to adapt and change and make those quick decisions on the fly, as opposed to really hard forms of martial arts where, you know, fist meets fist, face meets fist, whatever. <laughs> but you come at it like this and you keep hitting and you keep going in the same opposing directions until somebody loses or gets hurt or whatever. But that's like banging your head against the wall, <laughs> practicing the same thing on trumpet all the time. So we've taken that philosophy of, okay, you bang your head against the wall once, don't do it again. Come at the problem from a different angle, and you may find a solution that's much simpler, much faster, much easier on the body, and more lasting as well. Mm -hmm. I was just interviewing a guy, not a trumpet player, some completely different, but he does martial arts as well, jujitsu. And in his words, the jiu-jitsu is more about the redirection of energy 
rather than just like you have just two opposing forces just coming together. With jujitsu, you're taking the oncoming force and maybe just a little tweak or just a little something with your technique. You're taking that the opposing force and you're basically turning their energy against them. I don't know exactly it's what a redirection. A redirection. Yeah. Of it's no, the same in Aikido. Yeah, you're okay. exactly okay. right, James. So, yeah. Yeah. so what he was explaining is if you just have two opposing forces, like two dump trucks going against each other, like slamming into each other at 60 miles an hour, it's going to be an absolute catastrophe. And it's going to be, nobody's going to win. Everybody's going to lose in that situation. But if you know how to take that the force from your opponent and use it against them, then you have the upper hand. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And cause I, Because I see people, and they're older, and they look like they're just working so hard. And I feel so sorry for them because I know from personal experience, it doesn't have to be torture to play a C above the staff. It's actually easy if you know how to do it. You can play it with marginal effort at best. But he's just working so hard, and he seems to enjoy it. It's like he's taking <laughs> pleasure. Look how hard I'm working. Exactly. I can play a lot this, of us, this scale. A lot of people like to wear that badge of honor. And for us, it's like we've tell, told our, our group, it's like the trumpet really, the goal should be to make it as easy as possible. Because once you understand how your body works and everything, it allows you the freedom to play music. There's a whole school of thought that that says paral- analysis is paralysis. And uh, we understand that and we have ways to overcome that. And there's another school of thought that says just play in a musical way or just play music, play with a great sound all the time and that'll take care of your problems. Again, for some that may very well work. That never particularly worked well for me. And I'm an analytical guy, so I like to understand what it is that makes things tick. And I've had, and Paul has too. I think if you're, I think if you're a a true career long trumpet player, and you've been, you've had to play everything from brutal salsa gigs or be on the road for like right now, Paul playing eight shows a week. I, I had times, and that's like kind of abusive playing. That's brutal. You have to learn how to, you've probably most trumpet players that have been in those situations understand that, wow, I need to figure something out here and figure out what makes me tick so I can keep going and have some longevity in this game. Necessity is the mother of invention. So Paul, he's a, he's a great lead trumpeter. And Bobby, I don't know as much about your background as I do Paul, but I know that you're pretty well experienced, but if you guys were to be like the amateur, 70 years old, who's just face is beat red, playing a, a scale up to the C above the staff, if you guys were to take that approach, you wouldn't last longer than two weeks doing what you guys do. So it's like you had to find something that works. Otherwise, you're not going to have a career in it. I've always wondered why people bragged about practicing six hours a day. <clears throat> And I'm the opposite way. If I can get to from point A to point B, and I can do that in an hour a day of practice, then I've got five hours left for myself 
to play music, to do, to grow more musically. It's not just like going to a gym and working out, but a lot of methods, they advocate, I guess, spending hours and hours and hours. Like eventually, if you just hear it, your body will figure out how to make it happen and you'll just sound the way you want. But what if you don't know what tool to pick up to do it? That's a lot of the problem, I think, with the dogmatic approaches out there. We also like to feel like if your car, if you got a flat on the side of the road or whatever, and you need to, do you want to be stuck there <laughs> and waiting hours for somebody to come AAA or whoever to come by and help you? Or do you want to know how to change it? Do you want to know how to get yourself out of that situation? And boy, when you're on the road, there's nobody around to help you usually to get out of those situations. And we've seen and heard about a lot of people just spirals by going down in flames on a road gig because they just can't get it together anymore. And sometimes the only, when you get like seriously injured or really beat up, you have to take a little bit of time off or you have to really play smart. And we think it's important to really play smart every time you pick up the horn. That way you, you don't have these issues. We have had comments, and I'm glad you brought that up, Bobby, where somebody has been complaining about their chops and the first line of defense or the first bit of advice is, oh, we'll take five days off. Yeah, you had one heavy night of playing and you're tired the next day. And somebody's saying, take five days off. You're not going to learn anything about what your body needs to do to recover, to play well that that second day what if you have two days in a row of gigs or god forbid i have six days a week i gotta do it every sometimes 52 weeks a year and i'm not saying that to brag but it, you can learn so much about your body if you really listen to it and sure you get fatigued and you figure out how to get your chops working the next day that's a win you take three days off you haven't learned anything you come back and you're going to do the same cycle again. You're going to play probably too hard. You're going to go, oh, I need to take some time off. You'll recover. You'll come back and you'll do it again and again. Groundhog day. <laughs> Constant process of discovery. And even using the rest, you're learning. You're always learning your, your body. It, it, and it's response to the, let's face it, very unnatural. It's not natural to put a piece of metal on your face and blow on it and make a buzzing sound. And it's great. I like it, but it's not natural. You know what I mean? So there has to be, we have to find effective ways to do it. Yeah, it's not natural. There are people that are, for whatever reason, that are built for it. I guess they're, I guess you could say they're anatomically gifted and, but they also have a knack for doing it because for people that are not gifted. There's so many players that are just phenomenal players that don't have the perfect, what seems to look like the perfect body type or dental structure or whatever. So there's, there is a way to get around, to work around all that and figure out what works for you. And you can clearly see it by everybody. Not everybody's going to look like Doc Severinsen. We have a lot of people that say, I'm playing with my horn straight out and I'm standing up just like Doc and this and that. And why isn't it working? Look at Sergei Nakaryakov. He looks exactly. a little different yeah. and he sounds amazing. Oh, so, so we always, we, one of the things we talk about is not to not worry about the aesthetics of yes. 
how you appear when you're playing. You have to worry about what's what how to get your machine working, so to yeah. speak. And Doc Severinsen, he was that that could have been showmanship on his part, not necessarily because it's good for trumpet playing. We don't know, but yeah, it, it, it could. It may not have been the primary factor in a certain stance, like a certain posture. Well, that's true with Maynard, with the whole breathing yeah, right. thing that he used to do. It was like, yeah. oh, wow, that's how he breathes. That's how he does it. And that's a kind of a showmanship thing. That's how you work a crowd. Exactly. It's not necessarily how you play trumpet. Yeah. Speaking of Maynard, there was a, a, a little story that he pulled his trumpet section aside one night and he said, guys, you got to make it look harder. You're making it look way too easy. Who's going to want to buy tickets and come to the show if, if you're just standing there looking like you're bored? more backbends and whatever. <laughs> now, when you guys are like the ratio of professionals to amateurs in your, like your Facebook group or your trumpet diagnostics, what do you think the ratio is? That's a good question. I would say the ratio is probably a lot higher for comeback and amateur player weekend warriors and players that are just coming back from long hiatus. I think that's our biggest demographic. Cool. And what is the biggest hurdle that you experience? Is it a mental block of some sort or is it a mental block that leads to some sort of physical block? What is the biggest, maybe a couple of the biggest challenges that you guys encounter with people that you work with? I think it's both. It depends on the person and some, and they're both connected. This is a thing. Our mind and bodies are completely connected. And oftentimes people get in a little bit of a rut playing and then they get a mental block because of it. I had something that Jimmy Stamp told me many years ago. The story of how I even got involved with Stamp is this. I was in high school at the time, and I had some friends that graduated. <laughs> they were a couple of years older than me, and they went off to, to study with him. And I kept asking him, hey, man, can you get me a lesson with him? Get me in. And uh, finally, they bugged him enough, and he called me one night. Or, yeah, no, I think he, he gave them my number and I called him one night and he just said, I never teach like high schoolers. So he says, I'll let you, I'll work with you for one month. And if I don't see that you're improving and that you're serious about your playing, then I'm not going to, I, I just don't have the time to waste because somebody else would to have a, have this slot. It, he was like the nicest guy in the world too. He was just such a sweetheart of a guy. So I went and I had my braces removed and I had the just this super unfocused, cloudy sound, had no range, terrible flexibility, all those kind of things that you wish you didn't have. And in my first lesson, he just said, why don't you play something for me? And I said, what should I play? He says, just play a couple of whole notes or play a scale or something. So I played a few notes and being the kind of genius he was, he could just tell in a, in an instant what you're doing wrong. So he then asked me, have you ever buzzed on your mouthpiece? And I said, no, I've never tried that. So he had me start. No, he asked me if I buzzed on my lips first. That's what he did. And he buzzed his famous little scale pattern. And I was like completely blown away because I'd never seen anybody buzz their lips and play a pattern before. So we spent, I don't know, maybe five, seven, eight minutes just trying for me to get a sound. I could barely play low C. 
And then when I got low C, I couldn't play the scale C, D, E, F, G. So he just had me go up to C sharp and back down just a little bit. And it's got things going. Then he moved me over to the mouthpiece. I did that for a couple minutes. Then he moved me onto the horn. And after that, my tone just completely cleared up. And I had a whole new feel and a whole new vibration going on. So it was just really uncanny how he taught. I'm sorry, I, I forgot where I was headed with this. With the, but, but the question, getting back to your question about mental and physical blocks. So what I used to, at the time in high school, I played with this polka band, this Polish polka band, and it was loud. They would say, blaze on your trumpet, play loud. There wasn't a lot of amplification and we'd be playing these big dances and stuff. And I would just get really damaged, really beat up. And he would call, later on, I went to college at Cal State Fullerton and I was still playing with this band and he taught at Cal State Fullerton. So that was really the true reason why I went to that school. So he would call me his wounded soldier and my lessons would be like on Monday or Tuesday sometimes. And he would say, how's my wounded soldier doing? And say, oh, I can't play after that gig we did on Friday or Saturday night. And he would take me from my very worst to feeling absolutely spot on again in just a matter of, again, five to 10 minutes. It was incredible how he did it. And he could hear things, see things. So I would ask him, how do, you, how do you do this? What is behind that? And he would explain it to me. And so the thing that he told me, though, that was, this is where I was getting to, that I loved is he said, remember, no matter, no matter how bad your chops get, you can always get back to home. You can always bring them back to where they were. And that was the thing that for me just gave me, I don't know if it was whether... It gave me a lot of hope, I guess I could say, whenever my chops would get messed up. And the fact that he could fix them up was great. The problem back then for me was that I couldn't fix them up myself. And it wasn't until many years later, studying with Bobby Shue and being around various colleagues and just starting to experiment and do some personal exploration that I realized how Bobby Medina works. So I think it's I think it's a really, I don't even, I wouldn't know what the ratio is of physical to mental issues, but that they are connected in a big way is what I think. We're talking about not necessarily like respecting the people who know the craft and the physicality of playing trumpet. And Bobby, you just gave a wonderful tribute to James Stamp and it was wonderful, but it was all part of you discovering what works for you. You don't do it just because Jimmy Stamp says do it. You do it because this is what brings you back home, in your words. Yeah. And, and in truth, I've studied with a lot of different teachers. And I've always been able to take some kind of nugget from everybody. And there's always been things that people have told me that just didn't quite seem to work for me, no matter how much I did it. And I think sometimes people often expect a technique to work instantaneously, or they'll do it for a week. And then they go, this isn't working. I got to move on to the next shiny object, or they do it for a couple of practice sessions. And that doesn't really give something a fair shake either. Maybe it takes six months for your body to adjust to a certain something Phys physically, like something that you're trying to incorporate. Maybe not six months, but it's going to take longer than a week. We talk about one of the things we, we discuss 
in the program is neuroplasticity. And it's for those of you that may might not know what that is, it's the ability of neural networks in the brain to change through growth and reorganization. And it's when the brain is rewired to function in some way that differs from how it previously functioned. And typically when you do something, a technique, it really starts to take place. This rewiring starts to take place after 65 or 70 attempts, tries. But they also need to be like correct attempts. If you have three out of five that are incorrect still, and you're going back to the old way, you have to stop and get back on track and do it correctly. That's the proviso on it, at least my experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless you give something enough of a try and with the proper intent, like Bobby said, it has to be done correctly. Otherwise, you're just reinforcing the incorrect way of doing things. It's in some ways, it's similar giving something a fair shake for enough time that you can make that evaluation. It's like trying new gear. How many friends have we got that have boxes of mouthpieces? They're always looking for the new thing. I've got a friend that would buy some new $200 mouthpiece and he would play it for one day and on a gig. And if it didn't go great, it must be a terrible mouthpiece. That goes in the box and then he brings out the next one. His body's never had a chance to actually learn what it needs to do to play that mouthpiece or what that mouthpiece can do for him. And if you're just always chasing that shiny object, you never get there. Yeah, I feel like that's the same way in trying new things for your chops. Don't just play the Carmine Caruso six notes for one day and go, nah, it doesn't work. Made me too tight. And then you do the Bill Adam for one day and spend six hours doing that. And now I'm beat up. That doesn't work. I'll do the next thing. How do you know that whether that's going to be a good thing for your body or not? Fellas, we're uh, sadly running a bit short on time. And I feel like we've just got, just gotten to know each other. And now it's time to part ways. Now's the time where I just want to give you guys an opportunity to share about your trumpet diagnostics program. If someone were to register or just check it out on the Facebook group. What's someone going to discover or what's the experience going to be checking it out? First of all, they should go over to trumpetdiagnostics.com. And in there, we have a free training masterclass about body mechanics, about a few different things that are, it's very helpful, totally no cost, totally free. And we've spent a lot of time putting it together. And based on the needs of people with their time and their chops and all the issues that go on. So we've provided some valuable content there. And then after that, if they should choose to want to learn more about our full program, then they can contact us through there, set an appointment and have a little chat with us and see if there might be a good fit. See if they, if we might, if we feel like we can help them, then we'll tell them more about it. If we feel like we're unable to help you, then we're not going to pitch anything to you either there, if that's the case. We're just out trying to help people. And that's the best place, trumpetdiagnostics.com. And just, it's a wonderful little video webinar that we've done. And I think people, a lot of people have really written some nice things about it. And a lot of people have gone through our course and seen our materials. A lot of really heavy players that have had some very nice things to say about it, which we're very proud of and very thankful for. Paul Barron, 
has been my guest, along with his partner in crime, Bobby Medina, trumpetdiagnostics.com. I'm going to sign up for this masterclass and check it out for myself. And I hope that you guys listening in will do the same. Maybe we can touch base again. And maybe after a year or so, maybe you can just give us some updates how the program is going. We can just dive a little deeper into some of the things we just opened up just very briefly in our time together. That sounds great, James. We'd love to. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you to our guests, Paul and Bobby. Thank you for having us. Thanks, James. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. For more captivating episodes and exclusive content, visit our official website at trumpetdynamics.com. You can dive deeper into the interviews, discover additional resources, and connect with your fellow trumpeters. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and even leave a rating and review. It really helps with the visibility of the show. Until we meet again, may your fingers be fluid, your breath unimpeded, and your chops ever fresh. Play hard.